0: We're in Genesis chapter 14 on a journey through the first book of the Bible, an amazing book. And in our story thus far, God has chosen a man, Abraham. At the time, his name is Abram. He's not yet changed his name to Abraham. And his wife is named Sarai, not yet changed her name to Sarah. And they had a nephew living with them and they've parted ways because. There's not enough space for them in the territory where they were living with their servants, their employees, their staff, and all their livestock. And they gave Lot first dibs, and so he chose the best land. And to his dismay, they came under bondage. From a distance, it looked great, but he didn't know their present condition or their future condition. They may have already been under bondage or not under bondage to a coalition of kingdoms east of the Euphrates, actually from the territory where Abram and Lot had come from, these mighty kings were oppressing uh, five city-states, five kings and their little kingdoms in the Jordan Valley, luscious territory, great prosperity, and now they're having to pay tribute to these thugs. And after 12 years of putting up with that, they just quit. They rebelled. In the 13th year, they got some relief, no more oppression. Well, the 14th year, here comes the enemy after them. The four kings come from, uh, we would call this Asia today, and they cross over the Euphrates, coalition of four armies, and attack seven little kingdoms on their way to oppress these kingdoms. They were on the war path, and there was a battle in the Valley of Siddam where they won that not only won, but they took captives of women, and a lot was included in that bunch. And they head back, different than the way they came, they head back on the other side of the Jordan, and Abram catches wind of this. So he, with 318 people that were born in his house, in his tent, in his estate, and goes after them with three of his buddies, neighbors, and they attack them at night in two companies. They formed two companies and surprise attack at night and recapture all that had been taken, all the goods, all the food, and all the prisoners and brought them back home victoriously. Don't you know that was a happy day? He had prayed and told the Lord that if you give me victory... I will not allow anyone to pay me anything, not even a thread to a shoestrap. And so in our story today, we're just going to look at two verses in Genesis and then a bunch of verses in Hebrews. If you didn't bring your Bible, have no fear. We have the text that we speak from uh, almost every Sunday in the bulletin. And so today's texts are in your bulletin. So Genesis 14, he comes to fellowship with a king named Melchizedek, king of Salem. So he's in a city, an area, his kingdom is called Salem. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brings out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand and he gave him a tithe of all Now who is Melchizedek well from here we see he's the king of Salem and he's a priest of God most high A couple of verses later when the king of Sodom offers to for Abram to take from the booty, from the prize, anything he wants. Abram refuses, says, I prayed to God Most High. So he, he was the priest of the same God that Abram knew, the God Most High, the Most High God, El Yon. who was Melchizedek. Well, if you believe that Abram is the only person that knows God Most High at this point in history, you'll be mistaken. This is history zeroed in on Abram, because through him is going to come the Messiah. So it doesn't mean there weren't other people on earth that knew God. Rabbis, some rabbis tend to think that Melchizedek may have been Shem, hundreds of years old. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. So Shem could have become known as royalty, greatly respected. If you check out on our history chart out there, he would have still been alive at this time. But Hebrews lets us know some other things about him. So if you look at Hebrews chapter 5, it begins with verse 1, "'For every high priest taken from among men "'is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, "'that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. "'He can have compassion on those who are ignorant "'and going astray.'" since he himself is also subject to weakness. So that's the condition of a human priest. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. So a human priest needs a priest. And no man takes his honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Aaron didn't politic and say, hey Moses, can I be the priest? No, God chose him. So also, verse 5, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, and he quotes Psalm 2-7, a prophecy about him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, and he quotes Psalm 110-4, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. If it be thy will, take this cup from me. That's what he's happening there. Our priest to be is crying out. and was heard because of his godly fear. So angels came and ministered to him at that point, but he still had to follow through with the divine plan. Verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And he launches into a parenthetical chapter, chapter 6, talking about the basics of the faith. And then he ends with these words, this hope, Hebrews 6.19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I'm going to speak to you today on uh, Christ being our priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. What is the order of Melchizedek? Well, the order of the law under Moses, the priesthood could only come through the family of Aaron, who had come from the family of Levi, one of Jacob's 12 sons. Through Levi came Moses and Aaron, and through Aaron came the priesthood. The next chapter begins, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So either the writer is saying, based on how he appears in the Scripture, this is a picture of what Jesus is like. He's made like the Son of God. He doesn't have a genealogy, that is, he he, he had a wife and They had kids, and then they had kids, and they had kids. No, there's no family tree coming from Jesus. His children are all spiritual. So you could say the same thing about Melchizedek, because we don't know about his descendants. So where the Bible is silent, could be nothing there, or could be it's just he's there in the story, and the fact that he's put there is a picture of what Jesus was like. So either Melchizedek was a Christophany, an early apparition of Christ, or a theophany, a a picture of Christ in God manifesting himself on earth, or the angel of the Lord, because we see Abraham encountering God like that in the next chapter, chapters. Or he was who it says he was, the priest of the Most High God, and doesn't tell us anything about him, so he remains a mystery, kind of like the Son of God who is the priest that's continual, all right? So we don't know about Melchizedek's arrival, and we don't know about his departure. Christ, we know about his arrival, we know about his departure, but we know he ever lives to make intercession for us. Verse 4, now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abram and blessed him who had the promises. So Melchizedek predated Jacob and Levi and Aaron and the priesthood. So he's the original priest of the Most High God. Now, verse 7, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, that speaks of his descendants, even Levi who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abram, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. So Jesus, humanity, he was a descendant, through his mother Mary, of the tribe of Judah. Now David was a member of the tribe of Judah and he was promised prophetically that kings would come through him, kind of like what happened to, to Aaron. Priests will come through Aaron, kings will come through David. So here's Jesus, the son of David, a descendant of kings. Solomon was his forefather as well becoming a priest, a king and a priest. This is contrary to the law. The priests were to come through Aaron, not through Judah, not through David. But here Jesus, a descendant of David, is becoming a priest. Verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is far more evident, it is yet far more evident, if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, back to Psalm 110, verse 4, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oak, without an oath. There's a difference, oak and oath. Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. So the Lord's made an oath and he's not backing off. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm. It begins with the Lord said to my Lord, I'm going to make your enemies your footstool. Speaking of Jesus, the Lord is Yehovah or Yahweh, God's holy name, said to my Lord, Adon or Adonai, another name for God. So God said to God, how is this possible? Well, God became flesh and dwelt among us. So God said to his son, I'm going to make your enemies your footstool. And so his son conquered death for us. And then he goes on and makes his promise to him further, further down in the psalm. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. So the priests would begin serving in the temple at age 25, and at age 30, they would begin serving as priests, and then at age 50, they would be replaced. So it's temporary, and then they would die at whatever age they died. But here's a priest who has conquered death, an eternal priest. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. To make intercession for someone is to plead their case, and if successful, to bless them. So like Melchizedek spoke blessing over Abram, Jesus ever lives to bless us, to make intercession for us. Do you see that? Now, practically, this was fulfilled prophetically by the promise in Psalm one ten four, but it was also fulfilled at the at the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist, who was a cousin of Jesus through Mary, was a descendant of Levi, a descendant of Aaron. His father was a priest. When he got the promise that he would have a miracle son, remember, in the temple while serving. Um, Zachariah was his dad's name, not the Zachariah who wrote a book in the Bible, but he was named after him. And so as a descendant of a priest, he could have been a priest, but he became a prophet and he baptized Jesus. And when Jesus approached him to be baptized, he protested. He said, Lord, you know, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, it's important to fulfill all righteousness. He baptized him. When he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, and God spoke from heaven. This is my beloved Son. That is initiation into priesthood. Because when the priests were ordained, it wasn't their choosing, they were chosen to be priests, there was a sacrifice made. Blood was shed. Then they were washed. In the ceremony and then they were anointed with oil Christ is the Lamb of God John the Baptist introduced him here behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so his blood is in his veins he is known as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world so though his sacrifice on the cross had not yet been made his blood was there so that part of the ceremony is dealt with, right? Then he's washed or immersed, like a mikveh in Judaism, in water by John the Baptist, who's a descendant of a priest. All right? When he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. What does oil represent? The Spirit. You can light it, and there's fire, the Spirit gives us fire. Spirit brings us comfort. There's a whole lot of things about oil that's like the Holy Spirit. So there is blood, water, spirit, or blood, water, oil at the baptism of Jesus. So there he is by a descendant of Levi, Jesus, ministry be- beginning right there. Now y'all are looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. But check out the ordination of priests, and then go and look at the baptism of Jesus, and you'll see the parallels. So today, I'd like to speak to you on the order of Melchizedek. Here is this prophecy, Psalm 110, for the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So Christ fulfills this role to this day and beyond. Forever, he will always be our priest. Now, you may say, I don't need a priest. I wasn't Catholic. I wasn't Jewish. I've never been a Hindu. What do I need a priest for? And yet maybe you look at your Facebook post and see how many likes you got. Or maybe you've written a book and you keep track of how many people have bought it. Or you know people that have bought it, you're keeping track of how many have read it. Or how many have subscribed to your podcast channel or your YouTube channel. What, what is that? It could cause all sorts of psychological problems. There's a need that we have for approval. And I dare say that is a need for a priest to let you know that everything's going to be all right, to let you know that your sins, your mistakes have been atoned for, that you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. all earthly priests are representatives of the priest. And that's who we're talking about today, the priest. Some earthly priests are not as representatives, so I got to clarify that. All right. This prophecy promises us an eternal priest like Melchizedek. The order of Melchizedek is not some weird order. There's some weird teachings out there. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. But like Melchizedek, according to his pattern, like him, like he was presented in the Scriptures, this is Jesus, not through Aaron, priest of the Most High God. And then we saw in our main text, Melchizedek is his name. It means king of righteousness. Sadak is righteousness. So Jesus is king of righteousness. He was the king of a territory known as Salem. Some people think this became Jerusalem. It's the word for peace in Arabic as salam. Hebrew, shalom. The king of shalom. Peace, wholeness, not a cheap peace based on on compromise, but peace with God. Wholeness, beauty, wonderful. He's priest of God Most High or El Elyon, one of God's names. He brought out You read it right there. Bread and wine. What does that remind you of? Reminds you of Passover. Reminds you of the Lord's table. Reminds you of Holy Communion. Reminds you of covenant. Picture of that was to come when Jesus one day would say, take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood which was poured out he's not only our priest, but he's our sacrifice for our sins. And then he rose from the dead as our priest to make sure the sacrifice applies to every situation by faith. And he blessed God and blessed Abram. Jesus honored his father and he honored people. Whoever came to him in faith, he blessed them. Even those that were cursing him and killing him and abandoning him, he blessed them by interceding for them. Father, forgive them for people that are not worthy of his prayers. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And finally, as pastor, I can't leave this alone. Melchizedek received Abram's tithe. What does that have to do with Jesus? Well, let me try. Will you let me try? All right. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus rebuked certain religious leaders. He said, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!' For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and not to leave the other undone. So you guys are into tithing minutiae things, teeny tiny things, not strained from one grain of salt, one leaf of uh, pepper, you know. But yet things like justice, mercy, mercy. Faith, you're you're minimizing that, focusing you know, majoring on minors and neglecting majors. Luke eleven forty two, he said, "Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others." So, what is a tithe? It means a tenth. It's a proportion is proportionate. In Luke 6.38, Jesus said, Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men heap to your bosom. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So if you're generous, you'll receive generosity. If you're stingy, maybe not so much. So the measure you use, measure is a word for proportion. The proportion you use will be proportioned back to you. Jesus observes proportion at the temple in two places in the Gospels. We'll look at one of them. Luke 21, verse 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box. So he's standing by an offering box. We got a couple offering boxes in here. And he's watching. I don't recommend doing that. I would never do that. But Jesus can do what he wants, right? He watches, sees the rich putting their gifts in the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on." So the way God views the amount of our giving is the proportion of our giving compared to what we have, what is the gift in proportion. So he, he considers that. So he's like Melchizedek. He receives our time. Uh, the writer of Hebrews kind of reiterates that. We just read that. All right, how does Jesus fulfill the order of Melchizedek? Well, in Hebrews 5, we saw... Like other high priests, in becoming our high priest, Jesus did not glorify himself. So the descendants of Aaron don't make themselves priests. They're chosen. They are made priests. Jesus didn't make himself who he is. He just is who he is. He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was chosen. The father confirmed it with his voice. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So in that way, he parallels earthly priests. After suffering and authoring eternal salvation, he is called to be high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So that's what he became after authoring our eternal salvation. Chapter six, we saw these things. As our forerunner, we have hope in him, Jesus, our priest forever, according to this order not according to the Aaronic order, but according to the Melchizedek order because it's eternal. He's eternal. Now, I know though there's some guys running around on bicycles that claim they are priests according to the order of Melchizedek, but they're going to die one day. Right? So that's a cheap imitation. The order of Melchizedek, we just saw it, is eternal. In chapter 7, we saw these things. Melchizedek was made like God's son. So he could have been an apparition of Christ, a Christophany, could have been a theophany, or could have been, like the Bible says, the king of Salem. Could have been Shem. The rabbis may be right. The point is, his appearance in Genesis, there's so many things about him, just those two verses, he's like Jesus. While still in Abram, his descendants tied to this priest who points us to Jesus. So the priesthood that came through Abram, through Levi, through Aaron, tied to Melchizedek through Abram. still in their There was still a twinkle in their mama's eye. His priestly order is better than Aaron's. It's eternal. Those priests, Aaron's priests, would sin and would have to offer sacrifices up for their sins. Christ never sinned, so his sacrifice is totally applicable to everyone. Unlike Levitical priests who died having conquered death, our priest is eternal. And he always lives to intercede for us. Now, the verses we looked at in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 follow up on some verses we're going to look at that talk about Christ as our high priest. Hebrews makes a real big deal about the priesthood of Christ. And right in the middle of those passages is Hebrews 3.1, It says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Consider our high priest. Think about him. Learn about him. Read about him. And then he launches into this giant, you know, four or five chapters long exclamation of his priesthood. The verses preceding that verse, Hebrews 2, ends with these words, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, that's a fancy word that means full payment, for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, when you're tempted to sin, if you yield to it, you're gonna sin, you're gonna experience the consequences of sin and suffer. But if you're tempted to sin and you don't sin, that's preventing some suffering in your life, right? But sometimes resisting that temptation is suffering. In the Garden of Gethsemane, prior to his death, Christ was tempted to not go through with it. And in prayer, he prays to his father because he's gonna be separated from his father. That's the thing he I think he dreaded most. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will want. So in his prayer, he's surrendering. That's what prayer does. It changes us before it changes anything else, right? So he's surrendering his will to the Father. He had a free will, and he was tempted to resist the Father's will. But he yielded, and he's sweating. The Bible says, as it were, great drops of blood. So he's either sweating blood or he's sweating like he was bleeding. He was under pressure. And sometimes to be tempted and to resist that temptation is painful. But to do it. An example, let's say you're going to fast. You're tempted to eat. To resist that temptation is what? Painful. So, being like his brother's, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make full payment for the sins of his people. Because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, as Almighty God, he has omniscience. He knows everything. I would hate to play him in chess. In fact, I'd hate to play anybody in chess. It makes me think too much. But I have a trick. About three moves, I beat you. And if you learn what it is, then I, I'm done. Bishop to the what was it? Uh, I won't tell you what it was, but anyway. So he knows everything. Yet, by becoming one of us, now he knows things by experience, not just by intelligence. Lord, I'm betrayed. He knows what that's like. I'm abandoned. I'm being shamed. I'm being slandered. I'm being lied about. I'm being tortured. I'm being robbed. I've been stripped. I'm being beaten. He knows what that's like. And he's now a more faithful that he might become a faithful high priest. Now, there's a psalm in the Old Testament that every other verse, it's quite a lengthy psalm, but every other verse says, It's about God. It says that his mercy endures forever. Yet the God whose mercy endures forever so that he might become more merciful became one of us so that he could be more merciful, already merciful. If he wasn't, this place would have have been baked by then. So this is our priest. You can come to him with anything and not be ashamed because he knows the pressure you were under. Lord, my family doesn't understand me. He knows what that's like. Any scenario you bring up. I'm tempted to sin. He, to be a full payment for sin, he had to be tempted with everything that humanity is tempted with, yet he didn't sin. Now, there are some people that believe if you have hands laid on you and prayed over, you will never be tempted to sin again. That is a false doctrine. Well, I need to have a demon cast out of me because I'm tempted to sin. Well, saints, you can't cast out the flesh. The good news is he gives us grace to forgive us if we mess up and to give us strength to stop messing up and wisdom to live a sanctified life, separate, you know, If alcohol tempts you to sin, then don't go to a liquor store to buy a Coke. It's wisdom, right? Wisdom. Chapter 4, in conclusion. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who is ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, Well, I'm not, I, I'm not worthy. I really messed up. I broke promises I made to God. Grace means undeserved blessing or unmerited favor. If we were worthy, there would be no need for grace. So you're doing no one any favors, including the Son of God, to resist his grace because you're not worthy. Stop resisting his grace. You can't resist it anyway, and just receive this amazing grace. Receive the forgiveness he has, and he'll help you. That's the problem anyway, trying to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, trying to medicate your own soul sickness when Jesus is the Savior. Come boldly to the throne of grace. How do you do that? you have to climb a mountain somewhere on your knees on pieces of broken glass? No right where you are. You could approach him today at home, in this room, on your chair, up here, anywhere, with another human or not, and call on his name and say, Jesus, help me. I need mercy. Save me in this situation. Show me what to do. Give me strength, Lord. Maybe you're being tempted to fear. You know, fear has torment, but perfect love casts out fear. So you don't even have to rebuke the spirit of fear. No, you just walk in the love of God and fear is dissipated. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to meet together with believers who got up an hour earlier. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for people that are committed to you. I pray, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus that those who do not know you as their high priest, that they would do so today, that they would approach you and confess their sins to you and receive help from you that only you can give. And Lord, I pray for us as your people that we would be that royal priesthood, those kings and priests that we've been prophesied to be in every situation, we're facing, but also with people who are facing their situations. Make us ministers of grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for fulfilling the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Worthy of every song we can
1: ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we can ever